Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. The Sojournal Podcast is brought to you by the Alumni Association of Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today, we are joined in the Sojournal podcast by 2007 Johnson University Tennessee graduate, Amanda Rich. Amanda, welcome to the Sojournal podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this uh, opportunity to get to know you a little bit more, Amanda. I know you're a local girl, but why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, those who are listening in? I'm originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, went to Johnson, uh, graduated in 2007, and I've been a missionary the last, in full-time ministry the last 15 years. Wow. First question to get started, uh, give me a sense of uh, your, your faith foundation. Were you raised in a Christian home? Yes, I was uh, raised in a Christian family. I'm the oldest of five kids, and I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was four years old. Then when I was seven, I, I became like a little evangelist sharing the gospel all the time. When I was seven, I told my mom, hey, mom, at all of our family gatherings, I'm now going to be teaching about Jesus because most of our relatives don't know him. So on Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, I would always do like a little mini sermon and uh, tell tell our family about Jesus. And then when I was 12, I went on my first overseas mission trip to Russia in 1997. And that was how I got heart for ministry in the mission field. From four years old, you were a little evangelist. How'd your family respond to that when you were doing that during holidays and things? I think, first of all, my parents and my grandparents saw that I had a really unique calling on my life from a young age. When I was about three years old, my parents took me to a church, just like in the backwoods of Tennessee, little Baptist church, and they were visiting. They put me in the nursery, and it turns out that day was the children's program day. And so they brought all the kids from the nursery out on stage. And the teacher said, one of the children has requested to pray for the audience. And it turns around and handed me the microphone. (laughs) And my parents are just in shock. And they're like, what in the world? Like, we just put her in the nursery. Now she's up on stage with a microphone. And I began to pray and uh, the, the prayer that I prayed was not like what a normal three-year-old would pray. And after that, my parents turned to each other and they were like, there is something different about this girl. Huh. And so after that, my, my parents have just gotten used to me being different. <laughs> <laughs> so you were raised in a Christian home. Was, uh, what, what was your home church? It's a non-denominational charismatic church. Actually, it was it was a bit more conservative. When I say conservative, I mean uh, spiritual giftings wise, Holy Spirit related wise. But then in the early 90s, there was sort of um, a move of the spirit happening and that move of the spirit affected our church. And there was a big shift in the way that they see the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit as being alive and active for today. Mm -hmm. And so that actually drastically affected my life. I was only 10 years old. 
Um, but I experienced that, had a real tangible experience with God. And that's also been something that's marked my life throughout my life. I, I've experienced the actual tangible presence of God multiple times throughout my life. And that's been something that's kept me fueled and kept me fired up. So I've also just recently been going through some inner healing um, and things where the Lord has showed me some also trauma and things that I went through in my childhood. So it's not just like everything's roses, you know, there are also some thorns in there that the Lord is, is teaching me how to integrate and be healed in a whole person. But it's also part of the beautiful story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why was your first mission trip then to Russia? When I was 11, about to turn 12, I just felt like the Holy Spirit speak to me. And when I say that, uh, what I mean is that it was like n nothing was in my mind, even close to thinking this. And then suddenly a thought drops into my mind that I just know is not for me. And the thought was this, you're going to Russia. And this was a thought. I was 11, about to turn 12. And when you're a kid, you just believe. And so I just went to my dad and I was like, dad, I'm going to Russia. <laughs> and he sort of looks and he's like, um, well, maybe I'll take you. <laughs> <laughs> so then that started a journey. The Lord actually supernaturally provided finances for us. And we went and then I actually did my first street evangelism as a 12 year old. I had just turned 12 and uh, I, I dressed as a clown passing out balloons that said, Jesus loves you in Russian and tracks uh, of the gospel, John in Russian. And this was not long after the fall of Soviet Union. So for Russians, it was like, I mean, they had never heard the gospel. So there was really like a revival happening there because the gospel was being released into the Soviet nations at that time. And so I phonetically learned some Russian songs in Russian. Um, I didn't know what I was singing, but I phonetically learned them. And so during a worship service one night, I was singing in Russian and I had an experience with the Holy Spirit and mm. I felt God's love. I felt like God loves me and I love him. And it was something I, I just couldn't explain. And from that moment on, I dedicated my life to ministry, to missions and I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I made that commitment when I was 12. And I remember telling some professors at Johnson, I actually made a commitment as a 12-year-old. You know, I'm, I'm a real extreme. I always was very extreme. Um, and I made a commitment that I would not have ice in my drinks because I wanted to prepare myself for the mission field. And I made a commitment that I wouldn't use air conditioning unless I absolutely had to, that I would teach myself languages so I started teaching myself Spanish, Russian. I learned a little Latin, Hebrew, Greek. I just, I'm an eclectic person. Yeah, so I just made that commitment as a 12-year-old and I've stuck with it, which is really amazing because I've had a lot of opportunity not to. <laughs> uh -huh. That's wild. So 12 years old, you were very focused. Uh, you know, I often ask folks when they embraced faith as their own, you've identified it though quite clearly for you that not only did you make that decision at four years old, but it sounds like this 12-year-old experience as you were in Russia was the overwhelming sense of, you know, I am my, my beloved and he is mine. Yes, yes. So let's set aside our adult theological brains for a moment. And I'll tell you that as I was 12, 
I said to my parents and to my, my children's church pastor, I don't know what I was talking about when I was four years old. Because I, I actually got baptized also when I was four. I had no experience. There. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now that I'm 12, I actually really know. And so I would like to be baptized again. And so they said, okay, we'll baptize you again. So actually, when I was 12, I got baptized a second time. And so I think that was the difference. And, and I actually said to the Lord, I want to serve you all the days of my life like Samuel. And, you know, Samuel had that call in his life from a young age. He served in the temple with Eli. And I've actually had a lot of discussions with Russian pastors and leaders about that because they, you know, they grew up in the Orthodox Russian church where they baptize, they sprinkle and baptize babies. So we've had a lot of conversations along that line, like when, when can people accept Jesus into their heart and things like that. But So your parents were already kind of faith focused when you were born. You are the eldest of five, you said? Yes. So is there a long history of faith in your family? No, my great grandparents on my dad's side were very devout Christians. But then my grandmother grew up in the 60s and she was a little wild and she married also a wild man. And then my dad grew up and he was not he was not a believer until they all got saved in like the 70s at the same time. And then my mom, actually, she grew up in the projects in the inner city of Knoxville. And her family, none of them were believers. All were very, uh, come from very rough homes. But my mom, when she was young, she was saved in an inner city bus ministry. Hmm. And she was just plucked out of that lifestyle. And so my mom was saved at a young age, but she had no Christian relatives. That's why I began preaching at all of our family gatherings, because most of my family was not saved on that side anyway. How did you find Johnson? When I graduated high school, I went into community college there in in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was going to go into nursing. I decided that I was going to get a nurse practitioner job. You know, at that time you could make 90,000 a year and I was going to live on less and save up and then go on the mission field for several years, come back, work again. That was kind of my plan, you know, Mm -hmm. so that I could avoid the whole support raising route. But when I went into the community college, I was having a really rough time. You know, I didn't have that many Christian friends there. I was being exposed to things that I was never exposed to. And also some traumatic events, memories and things were coming up. And I was having, I was starting to really struggle with depression. I was struggling really bad. And I remember this kind of lie entered into my mind of God doesn't love me. He you know, he's not talking to me. I can't hear his voice because even from a young age, I I would always, I just always had this connection with God, but it was like for two years, I just felt this dryness. Like I cannot hear his voice. I don't feel him near. I don't feel his love. And I was struggling. I was even on the verge of having suicidal thoughts and things like that. I was really struggling. And I went into my room and I just said, Lord, I need you to speak to me. I need you to come and touch me. And I said, I'm, I just think I'm just going to fast until you speak to me. And if you don't, I'm just going to die. I mean, that was kind of, I, I was kind of like in just this utter desperation. Again, I am not speaking theology. I am sharing my personal testimony right, and journey right, right, that right. I went through. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend this, nor do <laughs> I think it's theologically sound. Okay. <laughs> but 
yeah, I was just in that very desperate place where I was like, God, I need to hear your voice. I need to know you're real. I need to hear, I need to feel your love or I'm just going to die. And I started to fast and, you know, I fasted until 2 PM that day (laughs) (laughs) and the Lord spoke to me in his mercy. And I also want to say that fasting is not twisting the Lord's arm to get him to speak to you. That is not what it is. And Mm. that's not where I was. I was in just this desperate place of, I need God. I need a touch from God. And I said, Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do. Why don't you just speak to me? And at that point, again, just those, it was like words just dropping down into my mind that I did not think of, never thought about at all. He said, you're not doing what I want you to do. I wanted you to go to Johnson Bible College and go into missions. <laughs> and I was like, what? And actually, even though I'm a Knoxville girl, I did not know what Johnson Bible College was. I had to Google it. It was literally the Lord that spoke it to me. And so that's how I ended up at Johnson. And something shifted in my life when I moved to Johnson. And when I, when I got into that environment, because... It was like I moved out from under that depression or whatever and moved into like this just ability to hear the Lord's voice again, to Mm. experience his presence, to experience his love. And Johnson was a great environment for me. Obviously, Johnson comes from a a history, a tradition, a theological perspective that's quite different from what you're describing with the hearing God's voice and, and the overwhelming of the spirit in your life and that kind of thing. So how did you find that tension as you were navigating Johnson? It was funny because I think um, I was so naive about it <laughs> that it didn't really bother me, <laughs> you mm. know, and it didn't really, I didn't really find a whole lot of tension really because I felt loved and accepted by the people. Mm. I was able to, to talk and share and be myself. It wasn't like they judged me or anything. I mean, they had their own convictions, but mm. they were allowing me to have mine. Mm-hmm. And so I had great, great friends, great experiences, really good relationships with a lot of professors. And one of the things too, was I found that many people were also curious. Mm-hmm. They were curious about my lifestyle, my beliefs, the things, and they were open to also allowing me to share and talk. And I was open too to share and talk and listen. And it was great for me to be challenged by different perspectives of things that I had never heard of before. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, like gifts of the Spirit were kind of like an everyday thing to me. So when I came into an environment where people had never experienced that, or they actually believed that they died off with the apostles, I was like, wow, really? And so then I had to do research. I mean, I had to think, I had to wrestle through things about baptism and all of that kind of stuff. And it's good. I think it's good when people have to actually be challenged with different beliefs. And especially now that I have literally traveled all over the world. I just came back from Turkey, Estonia, Germany, Switzerland, and Ukraine. And I have now ministered with Catholics, with Orthodox, with, you know, all the different Protestant denominations. I have been all over the world. And the more experiences and streams that I come up with, the better I'm able to relate to different people and actually share the gospel and share things, you know, with their language and the way that they're able to do. And then also, it was good for me because it was good for me to be able to be able to think, do I really believe this? Like, is this really something that is true? And to actually test it, you know, and test it biblically, test it throughout church history and all that kind of stuff. So Mm. it was fine for me and I loved it. 
That's know? great. I so appreciate that that perspective of embracing the the questions. Of course, you know what you brought to the campus community at the time. It it helped sharpen than those that had a little bit of a different perspective. So that's just really good. I, I appreciate that. So what did your parents think w about you switching from the community college in nursing and a lucrative career to Bible college and missions and a, you know, an uncertain kind of a financial future? Actually, they thought it was great. My parents had both wanted me to go to a Bible college in the beginning. They didn't understand why I didn't go that route. They were a little concerned that I was going to more of a conservative concerning the gifts of the spirit, mm -hmm. just because I've always kind of been in the, the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so it, for them, they were a little like, are you sure that's a pretty conservative college? Like, can, you know, but they also knew my history of hearing the Lord's voice and, and following and doing what he's asked me to do. And so they were fine with it. And then actually, after I graduated from Johnson, then later on, my parents both encouraged my brothers to go to Johnson. So both of my younger brothers went to Johnson and my youngest brother married a girl from Johnson. So, <laughs> so we have four Johnsonites in the family now. <laughs> Did your parents go to college? Uh, no. My mom was a hairdresser and uh -huh. then she raised five kids and homeschooled us. So she had a full-time job. Uh -huh. And then my dad, um, he's a computer programmer, oh, software wow. engineer, but he was self-taught and he never went to college, but it always hindered him in different ways, you know, mm. especially pay wise and stuff. Um, and so eventually he did go back and get a degree. Did you ever consider any other colleges or was it just once the Lord planted that thought in your mind, then that was it? Well, there were some different ministry schools that I considered like that moved more in the gifts of the spirit. Right. Um, and then also occasionally I toyed with the idea of going back and getting a master's or something like that. But it was it was more like the Lord spoke to me and told me. And so I just went. And actually, after Johnson, I had a similar experience where the Lord sent me out to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. It was the same type of thing. Actually, the Lord spoke to me and told me to go to a certain conference, and I didn't know what it was. And so I Googled it, and then I ended up going out to Kansas City, and uh, then I, I served there for seven years. Well, before I ask you more about that IHOP experience, I want to know more about your experience here at Johnson. What do you remember socially, academically, spiritually about the time that you had here on campus in Tennessee? I think one of the biggest highlights of my time there was that I started some early morning prayer meetings in the Getze Chapel building. I think it was 6.30 in the morning, 6.30 to 7 every morning that we did some prayer meetings. And usually I had like three people there, but actually it was really like some of my most favorite time was being in that, in that little chapel room. And there's a big window there. And so every morning we would see the sunrise as we were praying and they had, you know, little pictures on the walls and prayer requests of people. And so every morning we would pray. And I remember one morning I came into the prayer room. It was like early in the morning and there were like 10 people in there. And I was so excited. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, there's 10 people. And it turns out that it was my birthday and I had forgotten. <laughs> and they had all gathered to come to the prayer meeting on my birthday. And uh, it was so great. Um, 
you know, I was a part of the missions department with Brent Brewer and a bunch of the people that were there. And so I really remember the missions department was such a fun department. We had so many friends there. Another highlight was I also started Europe in our own backyard. And it was basically a teaching English as a second language ministry there in Knoxville for immigrants that came in. And so we would go every Saturday and I would take a huge group of young people from Johnson and we would teach English to these immigrants every Saturday night. And that was, that was so much fun. And, you know, the, the Ukrainians and Russians and Turks, I mean, they would get out all their food and they would have tea and we would spend hours and hours and hours there, you know, and drawing things and trying to speak to each other. And that was before I spoke Russian. So, you know, it was mostly sign language and everything. That was great. And then there was, you know, other parts. I love the intramural sports. We had a lot of intramural sports and specifically uh, floor hockey, which <laughs> I played with you and many others. And, you know, I'd come home on the weekends sometimes and I had had these huge bruises on my legs and my parents are like, who's beating you? And I'm like, no worries. They have bruises too from me, you know, <laughs> and uh, soccer, basketball, you know, the intramural sports. It was a lot of fun. Did, was it, was it the relationships you developed through those or was it just the physical fitness? No, it was the relationships uh, and the physical fitness, but a lot of the friendships were from doing sports. I, I didn't play on the actual sports team just because it was going to take too much of my time, but I went to a lot of the games and that was always fun to go to the games with your friends and everybody's yelling and cheering on the other team. And it was kind of a way to hang out on a Friday night instead of going to Taco Bell, which is about the only thing that people <laughs> did on Friday nights down there. So you mentioned your interaction with those uh, refugees in Knoxville, or, you know, those who were displaced and, and settling back here. Was the little 12-year-old evangelist active in the lives of those uh, yes, Europeans? Yes, 100%. Um, a lot of the Ukrainians that came over were already believers, but the Muscadian Turks were actually Muslim. And then also later on, when we were working with the Burundi tribe from Africa and the Iranians, the Iraqis, of course, there were lots of Muslims and also Baha'i faith and other, other kinds. And so, yes, it was a very big evangelistic tool. Many of those Ukrainians, I still have a relationship with, like it's been 15 years, I guess. And I still see them when I come to town. Like, <laughs> and recently, like maybe a year or two ago, I had a, a gathering for like partners, and a huge group of them came. They all brought food, you know, and all kinds of stuff. And so I still, I still see them when I come to town. Uh, what about academically? What classes do you remember? What faculty members do you remember? One of the most influential people for me was Brent Brewer in the missions department. And also Matt Hickson, actually him and Hope and his wife and his kids. We went to Southeast Asia together the summer between my junior and senior year. I did an internship overseas for three months and I was with them for five weeks, I think, or six weeks. And we taught English among other things. And that was an amazing time. Um, also Norm Dungan, he you know, was a Spanish professor we had such a great time with him. Several classes that I remember, probably everybody that I graduated would say 
Doc Reese because he's just unforgettable. And he passed away not too long ago, but he's going to be greatly, greatly missed. Mm-hmm. And uh, singing doxology in his class was yeah. one of the highlights of my life. And also, we memorized some of the servant songs from Isaiah 53. The whole class, you know, had to recite Isaiah 53 together. And I still have Isaiah 53 memorized from that class. <laughs> and uh, and doxology every time I still remember Doc Reese. And I love Tommy Smith's classes. He was always some of the best. And Jody Owens as well. Thank you for going down memory lane with those because you've highlighted a lot of professors that I just have, you know, high respect for. Okay, so when you came to the conclusion of your journey as a Johnson student, how did you discern what was next? Actually, the internship that I had in uh, in between my junior and senior year in Southeast Asia, I think was a big marking point for me. It was more like an assessment of where I was. And what I mean by that is I realized that I wasn't quite ready to go on the overseas mission field right away. And the the part that I was lacking was more the spiritual depth on the inside, like prayer and Bible reading experience with God, like being able to know what to do and where to be like with him during that time. And I remember just spending time praying and reading my Bible and journaling on the trip in Southeast Asia, but coming back and going, I don't think I'm quite ready spiritually. And then after that, I started talking about how I needed like a desert season. And I kept saying that I need a desert season. And what I meant was like, Moses had a season in the desert before he went out, John the Baptist had that season. Paul had that season. Like they all had these seasons where God called them away and they were hidden. I mean, they were just with the Lord during Mm -hmm. that time. It's always important to be in community when you're seeking experiences and encounters with the Lord, to be in the word, in the Bible, to make sure that everything that you're feeling, experiencing, you know, is in accordance with the word of God. But then secondly, to also have some leaders, some people that are around you that help you. And so I actually, in the fall of my senior year, I had an experience with the Lord in church. It was like seeing pictures in front of your eyes, but I was awake. Mm-hmm. It was like a dream, but you're awake. And this phrase came into me about going to the One Thing Conference in Kansas City. And so I Googled it. And then I ended up going out there and uh, ended up, you know, they, they played a video and they said, this is six months where you can come away and be with God, like in the desert, <laughs> you know? And I was like, what? In your language. Yeah. And so, so I ended up going out to Kansas city and I had actually thought that I was going to go join pioneer Bible translators after. Uh-huh. Uh, and I had already gone down there and I had already done almost everything except sign you know, to go through their program and stuff. But then I was two weeks in Kansas City and I just felt from the Lord that I was supposed to stay there. And then I ended up staying there for seven years. And I I did not expect that. But also Dr. Weedman had just become president and we had become friends during that time. 
And he actually was really concerned about this place that I was going to. He wanted to make sure that it was okay. And that year, the uh, missions convention was going on in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Weedman was out there and he called me and came down to IHOP and checked it out. And he was like, I want to see what this place is that you're going to just to make sure you're not involved in a cult or something like that. I mean, it touched me. I It really touched me that he did that because he, he was so concerned that I felt that I went into the right place that he actually came himself and checked. And uh, he went into our bookstore. He went into our prayer room. He was like, okay, okay, this is good. (laughs) And then he took me down to the convention center and, you know, like introduced me to everybody. I was like, what is he doing? (laughs) But but it was great. And I felt, I felt, I felt super loved. So you go there for a two week conference, but you stay there for seven years. How did you survive? So I went for the conference that was in winter break in in my senior year. And then I came back and finished my last semester at Johnson. But one morning I was, I was driving to school at Johnson from my parents' house. And on the way there, I was just praying. And I said, Lord, if you want me to go, I need you to have somebody walk in and pay off my school debt. I mean, for me, this was like huge. It was $2,300, which for me was at that time was like half a million. Right, right. <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot of money. <laughs> it was a lot of money for me at that time. And um, I drive to Johnson. I get there. I walk into the cafeteria and Hazel, the accountant, she comes running up to me. Amanda, you're never going to believe this. Someone just walked into my office and paid off your school debt. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually, I found out who it was later. It was a, a doctor who had been going to school with us. They, he, he had walked in and paid off my school debt, which was crazy because I didn't even know that he knew that I had school debt. And that I needed it paid off. Like I never said that to him or anything, but that was like a key marking moment for me, knowing that the Lord was going to provide, you know, that had been one of my struggles. The reason why I was going to go into nursing was I didn't want to do the support raising thing. But when I went out to IHOP, I started doing support raising. And now I have actually been a support raising missionary for 15 years. Tell me a little bit about what your experience at IHOP was like, what that was about, and then how you transitioned into what you're doing now. IHOP, the International House of Prayer, is a 24-7 prayer room that has now been going uh, live 24-7 since 1999. So 21 years of live worship and prayer. What they do primarily is sing and pray the Bible, but it's got that element of spontaneity, creativity that keeps it interesting, that keeps it alive. Hmm. And also it's focused around the word of God and everybody prays the word, everybody sings the word. So it's also the ability to be very interdenominational, multicultural, where anybody can participate from any denomination. One of the big takeaways from my time there was singing and praying the word. And also the moving in the gifts of the spirit, because if, if you can imagine a place where worship and prayer has gone up for 21 years, nonstop. David said in Psalm 139, he said, I will not, I will not go to sleep. I will not allow slumber to my eyelids until there's a resting place for the Lord on the earth. And Jesus said, when he came, he said, pray this on earth as it is in heaven. And if you think about heaven right now and already for all eternity, There's been angels singing, holy, holy, holy. They sing three words that they love to sing, holy, 
glory, and worthy. And they love to sing those three words. And they can sing them over and over and over for millions of years and never get bored because God is that beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when we actually get captured and captivated by his beauty of who he is, that's the knowledge of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, that the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, they are there to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to help the body of Christ grow up into the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, hmm. and so that they won't be tossed away by any whim of doctrine. So when we become captivated with the knowledge of God, with the beauty of who he is, then we can partner with him in what he does. And so we have two different types of prayer meetings there. One is we call worship with the word and the other one we call intercession. And so the worship with the word is being captivated with who he is, uh, singing about him, singing who he is, and just getting that into our minds and into your spirit and your soul. And then secondly, we intercede for what he does and the release of his power, the release of salvation, the, uh, for every crisis that happens, we go, we start praying, for, you know, for Afghanistan, for Egypt, for America, for, uh, the breaking in a revival for the salvation of the nations, for, a, an adoption movement to be released for all those kind of things. As you can see that, that really got into me. You can't spend hours and hours. I mean, that was the thing I actually learned. I started at Johnson. I, I spent 15 to 20 hours a week in prayer. I struggled with it. Mm -hmm. But then when I got to IHOP, it was like easy mm -hmm. because it was with worship mm -hmm. and it was together with corporate people. And so um, it actually became something where it's like I could spend hours and days and weeks in there you know and have to actually pull me out of there <laughs> you know so what what was the transition then from the ihop movement and work and and all that you were doing there and experiencing there to then what you're doing now when i was you know i had already shared my experience when i was 12 years old uh -huh. um in russia and from that point all the way even when i was at johnson and all through ihop um, I was always saying that at one point I will move over to the Russian speaking nations. And I've been saying that since I was 12. So everybody was waiting on me to do it. And I was waiting on me to do it. But, <laughs> but I was also really waiting on the Lord to release me. Because as I said, you know, uh, when I came back from Southeast Asia, that I didn't feel ready. And actually that seven and a half years at IHOP, the Lord was really preparing me. He was preparing me spiritually. And so then at the, almost the end, uh, it was 2013, um, actually the leader of IHOP, uh, Mike Bickle, he introduced me to this Russian man, actually he's Belarusian, but his family was living in Ukraine at the time, to him and his family, they had come in to IHOP and then they, they ended up staying there for three to four months learning English. It was funny because my whole time at IHOP, I had not used my ESL because I, I got a, a teaching ESL uh, degree plus biblical studies at Johnson. I had not used it for seven and a half years. And then this family came and they asked me to teach them English. And my immediate internal reaction was no, because 
I want to teach the Bible, <laughs> but some places don't allow you to teach the Bible. So I, uh, so I, you know, it was kind of like my back door to, to teach the Bible, but I felt my internal self, Amanda Rich saying no, but I felt the Holy Spirit saying, yes, you need to teach them English. And I was like, really? And I didn't even know, I didn't even know who this person was really, you know, um, but actually I had had a dream about him before I met him. And that's a long, another long story, but I, I had a dream about him before I met him. So when I did meet him, I was like, okay, who's this? Because I had dreamt of, I had had a dream. So it was kind of like, you know, the Lord showing me that something, there was a connection here. So I agreed to teach them English. And during that time, um, I just got so knit to their family, like really connected, really knit to them. Then they moved back to Ukraine. And about two weeks later, they called me and invited me to move out and join their team in Ukraine. And I said, well, I'll come out and do like a scouting trip this summer and then we'll see. And so I went out there that summer, spent a month just sort of getting to know their team and everything. And then came back, prayed about it, did some advice with people. And then I ended up moving to Ukraine in January of 2015. And I lived there for five and a half years. So now I preach and teach in Russian. I sing in Russian. I do administration in Russian. I write back and forth in Russian. I can write cursive in Russian. I mean, it's just crazy. I can't. Russian was the hardest. I mean, I've learned Spanish. I've learned some Chinese. Russian will bring tears to your eyes. <laughs> it's just so hard. And actually, I went through a lot of really difficult things in Ukraine, uh, one being a back surgery. There was a lot of things that I went through. But also, we, um, we raised up houses of prayer. We did a lot of training schools, a lot of discipleship schools. I'm still teaching online. Like next week, I have to teach online in Moscow at 4 a.m. So that's really hard when I'm in the States because I, you know, my schedule sometimes is really strange. And then the last several years, I felt the Lord shifting me more and more back into evangelism. I mean, that's really what I was as a young little kid. And I, I feel my heart shifting more and more into evangelism, which I'm, I always do one-on-one -on -one evangelism, but more like mass evangelism. Hmm. And um, next year, there's going to be quite a few stadium events that are going to be happening in different parts of the world. And usually what happens is, there's lots of teams that they take before those events that go systematically across the city or nation for six months up until those stadium events and get the news out. Not only the news about the event, but also the good news of Jesus Christ, praying for people, uh, witnessing and all that kind of stuff, but then also spreading the news about the event. And so my heart right now is I can see myself being a part of that. <laughs> yeah. I was in Ukraine for the past five and a half years, but the team that I'm a part of right now, we have a base in Kiev, Ukraine, mm -hmm. in Moscow, Russia, mm -hmm. in Estonia, mm -hmm. a few hours outside of the capital city of Tallinn. And then also one I have to be more careful about. So I have been to most of those places. And then recently... The only place that we could find together was Turkey. <laughs> so we ended up in Turkey because the last two years, you know, I mean, all the different laws and rules that are changing literally every single day 
you have to fly by the seat of your pants in order to be able to do anything. And so in that way, it is good that I'm single because, you know, if I get sat on a quarantine for 10 days somewhere, I can. One day I went to the airport in um, Kiev and I was supposed to fly to Switzerland and I get there and they say, you can't fly to Switzerland. So I said, well, uh, would you mind if I flew to Germany? Well, what are you going to do in Germany? And I said, well, actually, I need to go to Germany. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I went, and I actually did need to go to Germany because uh, I was doing there was an evangelism thing that was happening that weekend. And the Lord ended up actually cutting a huge chunk of driving out of my trip and flying me straight to Munich. And I got there like six hours early. I would have I would have been barely been there on time if I had flown to Switzerland and drove. And I was actually like on time. And then, you know, I got to see all these young, fiery German evangelists that are out there just sharing the gospel on the streets every single day. We did mass street evangelism in the center of Munich. I mean, these are the kind of things that I've been doing lately. And I just love it. <laughs> I love it. And I, I wrote my partner letter today and I said, listen, especially to just encourage the the older generation, like turn your news off and start following some of these young movements that are happening of worship, prayer, and evangelism, because there are thousands of young people that are on fire for Jesus. There's no news, but bad news on the news, but there's no news, but good news with the gospel. That's what mm. it is. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are the good news bearers and we take the good news everywhere. And that's really what this world needs. That will answer every single problem. Right now, we're just all the little nitty gritty problems that we're trying to figure out. The answer is Jesus. If we just go back to the Sunday school answer, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's Jesus. Without him, we can't love our neighbor when the first commandment is put back in first place the second commandment is going to follow hmm. and everything else will come back into place. Amanda, I really appreciate all the time you've given me today. I really appreciate your heart for evangelism. Uh, really glad to see, you know, the work that you're doing, the passion with which you do the work that you do and your dedication to the Lord is wonderful. I've got to ask you two more questions before we let it go. So the first question is over the course of your journey, what is one thing that you've learned that you would want to share with other people? I think with what I was just sharing about the good news of the gospel, I think the one highlight that I want to share at this moment is that there is nothing that qualifies you to preach the gospel, to be a good person, except the blood of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. So many times we disqualify ourselves. We say that, well, I don't have the right words, or I'm not good enough, or I don't know enough, or I'm not a minister or something like that, but it is not our own works or our own performance or anything that we have done that qualifies us to be children of God, except the blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross. So when we accept what he did on the cross, what his love has done for us, that he's a good father that loves to give good gifts, that when, he's, when he looks at us, he's not angry, he's smiling. 
He's full of joy. He's full of kindness. He's full of goodness. And he's looking at you not going, oh, you've never done enough. Oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you can't reach out. No, he's going, oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, I'm so you said yes to me today in that little thing in your heart. And I'm going to write it down in my book. I'm going to treasure it. I'm going to keep it close to my heart. It's, it's the blood of Jesus. It's who he is that qualifies us. And when we just receive that, when I receive that love from him, then I can release it out to other people. Very good. Okay. Uh, second question for you. Let's pretend that for the next 60 seconds, you get to address the entire world. What would Amanda Rich say to the world in 60 seconds? While you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners. The Sojourner Podcast has been brought to you by the Alumni Association of Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Amanda Rich, a graduate of the class of 2007 from Johnson University, Tennessee, a longtime uh, evangelist, I guess you would say, uh, and a passionate pursuer of Christ. What one minute message would you give to the world? Jesus loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Um, he's pulling on your heart and calling you. The reason why you are alive is to have a relationship with God. He created you to know him. And eternal life begins now when you accept him into your life and it goes throughout all eternity. And eternal life is this, that you would know Jesus Christ, the one true God. You said so much in much less than 60 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Very good job and, and excellent, <laughs> excellent words. Amanda, thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been fun to get to know you a little bit more and to learn a little bit more about your journey. Uh, I'm sure that the listeners of the Sojournal podcast will also appreciate it. Thanks for being my guest today. Yeah, thank you so much. The Sojournal podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University, edited by Tyson Chastain. Music by Loyal Love. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Tune in to other Sojournal podcasts dropping each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.